I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinanto Walker here, and we've got a new series on my show. You know how I love to do these. It's going to end up evolving into its own podcast. We're going to start here since a lot of you that listen are people that actually work in the mental health field. And also those of you that are, you know, struggling with mental illness in some way that it helps you to know that mental health, it, there's a business behind it. There, there is a business behind it. Some of it is really great and some of it is not so great. So we created a series about the business of mental health care with myself and my colleague, Dave Ballenberger, who has been in the field for a long time. He's going to get into his background in just a minute, but we wanted to create this show so that you, everyone on can get really great information, understand that there are other things at work than just patient care. There's a whole business model underneath that. And you know, what things to look out for, uh, what trends are coming up. We're gonna talk to you know CEOs and um, billing managers and uh, people who've created technology for mental health. And you may think, oh, this isn't a show for me because I'm not in the field, I'm just someone who struggles with depression. No, 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 no. This is a show for you because I like to investigate what the heck is going on. I want to hear a show that talks about the stuff that doesn't get talked about. And I want to hear about the machine that runs my healthcare. So absolutely tune in. You will learn things that you can use to advocate for better care for yourself and your family. So without any further ado, Dave Ballenberger, thank you so much for being my co-host on this venture. Oh, well, thank you, Kristen. I've been uh, looking forward to this. I think um, this is going to be a real interesting show, and it, it's going to go real well. I agree. I agree. So tell our listeners a little bit about your background, which is like a scroll, but, you know, condense, the condensed well, version. We, we, won't, we, won't take, we won't take too long. <laughs> um, I've been working in uh, behavioral health since 1972, and I started out working with uh, delinquent boys. I lived with 15 boys, six and a half, five and a half days a week, took care of them, provided them with therapy. Um, and one of the things I always think about is after I've spent quite a bit of time working in mental health is in working with those boys, nobody ever asked, do one of those young men have a problem with mental illness? And as I think back on that, many of them did. Um, and in the juvenile justice system, then, uh, 
the way that was dealt with was through behavior programs. And kids were expected to conform to whatever the program was, and that's what they did. Some of them, and I can remember particular boys, their mental illness got would not allow them to do that. So they were stepped up in terms of where they were put and how secure it was. And fortunately, that's changed. Um, and it's going to change some more. Um, we're moving into an era now in terms of behavioral health where I think we should have been a long time ago, which is instead of worrying about everybody's diagnosis, we're going to worry about how well you can get along every day and what your ability to function is. Right. Um, and we're and we're going to stop, hopefully stop, um, some of this constant more medication idea. I think so often with folks that suffer from mental illness that that's all they hear. That's all anybody tells them, oh, well, you're mentally ill. Um, and I know I ran a facility called Rose Hill Center for 13 years, and we were a psychiatric rehab. And one of the first things I got in trouble for with all the staff was is that we're done telling people they're mentally ill. We're mm -hmm. going to expect that they get up in the morning, they get dressed, they go for breakfast, and they go to work. And we had a work program on the grounds that everyone participated in, and that was the expectation. We weren't going to spend a lot of time discussing, oh, you're schizophrenic, or oh, you're this or that. Those are labels. Um, people have to learn how to get along. And I think that was the most important part in a world that's not real accepting of the mentally ill and not real accepting of mental illness. Right. And since one, one in four of us uh, suffer from some form of mental illness, um, it's amazing to me in all the years I've spent doing this. When I went to graduate school, I went to Wayne State University, get my MSW. I did not have one single class that dealt with mental illness. There was no class to take. Um, now Wayne State has a specialty uh, in mental illness. When I was there, it was never discussed. Um, substance abuse was rarely discussed. And we're having a huge epidemic now in terms of um, heroin and heroin addiction, cocaine, all those things. And I worked for Odyssey House when I got out of graduate school. And Odyssey House was a therapeutic community. And any of you who remember TCs, uh, they were tough places to be. Um, if you were an addict and you came into one of those programs, you had better want to get better. Um, because everybody functioned every day. And that was the expectation. What we've kind of gotten down to, and I go look at substance abuse programs because I work for a company that puts in software for behavioral health. I go to these programs and I said, well, tell me about your program. Well, I'm told that everybody goes to six groups a day. They have no duties beyond going to those groups. And then they get out of the groups and they do something, but there's no really definition to it in terms of what's going on. And what keeps going through my mind is, well, how do you know these people are getting better? How do you know that you're making one little bit of change? And since nationally we have about 11% success rate with substance abusers, right. I think we really need to take a look at that uh, in terms of how are we treating these folks. And I'm hoping 
that with this change in functionality and change of how the system's going to change, hopefully, that this will actually create somebody to think, maybe we should change some of this. Um, maybe we should let programs be programs again, and there should be an expectation to the program, and there should be some kind of reality to it uh, in terms of what happens with people while they're there. It's expensive. It's expensive to have people in care. And um, I work with a program in Detroit called Lakeridge, and we're a transitional living program for adults that go into treatment. And I go to, I'm down at Lakeridge probably once or twice a week, and it's amazing to me. Oh, it's not amazing to me. All the people I see that we've already seen um, who just keep going in a circle. Right. Go to treatment, go to transition, go back to using, go to treatment, go to transition, or end up in jail. Um, you know, so we're not really doing the job. And I'm hoping that with some of these changes, that are coming that maybe there'll be some change. But the other part of that is with, with value-based care, though one of the reasons we're going to it is because nobody wants to spend any more money on this. And right. so the, the idea of it too in relationship to government, Medicaid, save money. You know, we're going to save some money. And right. uh, the way we're going to do that is that if you can't prove that somebody got better, we're going to tell you you got to give our money back. Mm. And the other part of that is, is that, you know, we have a group of people that are chronically and persistently mentally ill, which is about 10 to 11 percent of the total population in relationship to mental illness. Nobody's going to want to treat them anymore. Right. Because it's going to be very difficult to demonstrate there was a change. And I was talking to a friend of mine in NAMI and he said, well, what do you think this is going to do? I said, well, that means that the advocacy groups are going to have to get their act together and make sure these people get treated and make sure that they still continue to receive the services they deserve. You know, and he said, well, you're right. I said, yeah, right now you guys are kind of looking at everybody, but there's going to be a small group that no, none of the programs are going to want to take because they can't demonstrate improvement. It'll be very, very little incremental change, um, which, you know, the payer, you don't know what he's, they're expecting. So um, we'll see. I think um, it could be something good. I'm sure parts of it will be good. Um, but there's always kind of the downside of it, too, in terms of government and all of us who are supposed to be the treaters. Right, right, exactly. And I want to emphasize, too, you know, the technology background. How long have you been you know, working on the technology side of, of behavioral health? 13 years. 13 years. So we have varied experience here, listeners, between yeah. Dave and I. And, and what's yeah. nice, you know, what's nice about that piece is the selection of who we want to interview. So there'll be people like Johnny Crowder, who um, created a, a texting application um, called Cope Notes that's going to be our first guest on the show. And then we'll have people that work, um, executives that work for NAMI and um, executives at treatment center, clinical directors across the board, people that work in different departments in mental health. Um, and, and who mm -hmm. knows where the conversation will take us. But what I, I want to give the I want to be able to be an information source for people that really want to know the undercover part 
and I'm talking I'm not talking about devious things when I say undercover but just <laughs> how this machine gets oiled and whether or not it's working yeah. and talk to people yeah. brave enough to have those conversations and actually and how to thrive as a business in mental health care and do it legitimately. I'm not talking about some of the stuff that we see going on in the treatment center world that is so corrupt, it's unbelievable. We'll get into that too, believe me. But but celebrate the successes out there. Interview those people that are seeing success um, in terms of having a business that operates under the umbrella of one of the most stigmatized and also the least funded um, sectors of healthcare. Yeah, I mean, one, one of the people we're going to talk to is the CEO of... Um... Wayne County Community Mental Health here in Michigan, which includes Detroit. Um, and it's got the largest population of mentally ill adults in Michigan, um, you know, kind of all centered in one spot. And so what what is community mental health going to, what's going to be different? Because they're already talking to providers about system change and what that's going to look like. And really what it comes down to is payment change. But it has to be driven by total system change. If you change the way you're going to get paid, then somebody has to look at what you're doing every day. Right. And if you and if you're going to be tested on the basis of people actually getting better and demonstrating that, that's a huge, huge change. Our graduate schools um, are not teaching uh, social work that way. They're still back ten years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in terms of how they're teaching new social workers, that's going to have to change too, uh, because everybody has to get ready for this. Um, I know when I used to have students, I used to man, I used to supervise graduate students, and I would say to them, "Well, what do you want to do when um, you get done with your MSW?" Well, I want to be a private therapist. I said, "Really? How come?" I did that. It's boring. They said, "Well, I'll, I'll make." $90,000 a year <laughs> after I got done laughing. Um, I said, well, no, you won't. And um, if you're <laughs> going to be a private therapist, you actually have to spend some time with your feet in the middle of everything to learn what's going on. So, you know, I think those that kind of thinking um, really needs to change um, as people go to school and are supposed to be getting educated on how to do this work. How about in terms of uh, when people are going to school now, are there business classes? Um, and I'm not talking across the board. Of course, there are some places like John F. Kennedy University is one that has classes that teach their students how to use an electronic health record, as an example. And they're not using one that is 8,000 years old. Uh, that's right. Together with a mallet and a chisel. It's actually decent, excellent, in some cases, software that they're learning on so that when they go out into the field, you know, they're not behind the eight ball with the technology as well as what they're not being taught. So there are schools like JFK University that are ahead of the game. And then there are others across the board that are so behind. Are there classes just in the mainstream that teach a provider how the world works in terms of mental health, in terms of technology and business? Not really. Um, you know, they're still taking the same classes, uh, group work, you know, individual work. Um, there's, you know, I, I've I've suggested, I've talked to professors and said, hey, I'd be glad to come to your class and right. show students the kind of software they're going to be using. No, nah, no, nah, you don't have to do that. 
I said, are you sure? <laughs> because, yeah. uh, you know, they're, they're going to walk right into it. Um, and when I, when I took students, when I had students, Lake Ridge uses, uses our product. And, um, you know, I said, well, here you go. Well, what do you mean? Here I go. I said, well, you know how to use an electronic health record, don't you? No. <laughs> I said, oh, let me show you. Uh, but, um, yeah, you, you still run into that. And, um, I think, you know, that's another part of system change that's going to have to happen if this whole, I think, value-based piece is going to work. Right. And, and we can't get away from the technology and the business side of things. You're putting your head in the sand if you think that you can. And you're, you're not going to be successful and you're going to be fighting against a, a big machine. And you're also that's open right. for being fooled. I mean, part of my first years in the technology side of mental health was evaluating software and some of the software that I found coming from the business world outside of mental health, mm-hmm. I walked into mental health and went, this is archaic and, and being sold as the cream of the crop to a buying market that had no idea that didn't know what they don't know. And so they would just swallow whole, Oh, this is a great system. And uh, and then that has a direct effect on their quality of life as a provider, as well as the patient that they're treating. So the ripple effect of bad technology and bad business models in behavioral health affects all of us. And so that that's another reason for doing a show like this is to really talk about that and and talk about the positive ways that we can look at people who are making strides and also the gotchas. Be careful of such and such. Yeah, and I, I think, too, when you talk about electronic health records, you have to kind of look at that in the sense of um, what does it need to be able to do? I mean, what does it need to accomplish? Um, I can remember back in grade school when the good sister used to put me at the back of the room, all of us, and give us a math problem, and we had to have it figured out by the time we got to the front of the room. Um, it's going to be the same way with software. Uh, it's going to a question is going to be thrown at it in terms of demonstrating outcome, demonstrating goals, demonstrating these things have been met. Not all softwares are equal, and you really have to take a look at what you expect it to do, and then try to find something out there that can do it. Um, that's harder than you think, right? You know, exactly. and the and the other and the other part of that is just, and I mentioned this a little bit, programs. How are you running your program? I mean, this this is a lot different. If everybody's just going to group all day, are you really creating a change? Right. Maybe. Um, you know, and we talk about young people, adolescents that are in the juvenile system now. Um, you know, the programs of old are gone. And so a lot of these kids are being treated as um, outpatients when maybe some of them really need to be in a bed for a little while you know, in terms of what's going on with them on the mental health side and what's going on with them behaviorally and something, too, about the environment that they live in and, you know, and what's going on. So there's a lot of things to look at. And, of course, what it always comes down to is money Yes. and how much people want to spend and how much government wants to spend um, because we're truly falling behind. Absolutely, I'd say we've fallen behind, and and we're in hopefully some sort of catch-up mode. But we're we're way behind the eight ball on so many fronts here, and that oh yeah, 
that has an effect on everyone that's struggling and also mm-hmm. the entire system that's supposed to be there to help people that are struggling. So that's what we're, you know, we're attempting to do with this show. Uh, the goal of this, Dave and I both are very passionate about the business side of, of mental health, just as much as we are about the field of mental health. So, you know, please email us, let us know if you have questions or if you work in the field and you, you know, want to come on and talk about what you do and, um, and you know, wh- what is working and what isn't please let us know. You can go to mhnrnetwork.com. There's an info at up at the top and email us. And you can see all the shows that we're going to be doing on this topic by going to mentalhealthbusinessradio.com. All those, all the shows that Dave and I are going to be doing are going to be listed there. And uh, you can always find us also on iTunes looking at Mental Health News Radio. So, Dave, thanks so much. Then, I'm excited about this. Well, you. Kristen, Kristen. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully, and hopefully um, we get some politicians to be some of our guests. I would love it. Yes, exactly. We're going to go and, uh, as far as we can go, listeners. <laughs> yeah. I've already got some names, <laughs> so um, I'll be talking to them and see if we can get some politicians on the show. Fantastic. Well, I'm, I'm excited, Dave. Thank you me for too. doing this. Thanks for doing this with me. Oh, no. Oh, I, this will be great fun, Kristen. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and thank you so much, listeners. We hope you get a lot of benefit out of this show and enjoy the process of us uncovering what really needs to be talked about in the business of mental health care. But never without good intentions I heat up and act on my emotions Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all,